0: Well, Rich Paul Ford, I'm bringing the deep today. That's great. Should I do it too? Should I get in there? Don't get in there. Okay, I won't do that. Stay out of there. All right. This (laughs) is Track Change as the official podcast of Postlight, an agency that builds big, beautiful technology things, a product and design company in New York City. Rich, we're joined by someone very
1: special. I agree, on many levels. On
0: many levels, and and actually just kind of an old and supportive friend both to us and to the community of people who care very deeply about making the web open and accessible. And I think I would define this person who, obviously the listener who will have seen the title of the episode will have no idea who I'm talking about, but I would define this person as uh, someone who is another one of these human beings who combines the humanities and technology very comfortably and, and kind of has through a fairly long career. Would you agree with that? Yes. So welcome to the podcast to Karen McGreen.
2: Why, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Is there a middle name in there that we should know about? Roxanne. Oh, for real? That's mm-hmm. great. That's a cool middle it's name. It's good, right? Yeah. Yeah, Whoa. I give my mother credit for that. That's she a... just dropped that in there? She did. She's like, let's let, just in case. Mm-hmm. Do you ever think about just going with that?
2: It has crossed my mind. If I need to go into witness protection or something, that's going to be my first choice. That's
0: a very... <laughs> what, what would Roxanne McGreen do for a living?
2: Mm, dance.
0: Dance. I also could see her <laughs> like something involving like horse racing.
1: Oh yeah. Like
0: she could be... I don't know. What do you think she could like work at the work at the farm? Like she could be like setting stuff up. Hmm. I was gonna say own a pawn shop. Oh, and yeah, I mean that in the shop. most positive no, way. Uh, wouldn't possible. that be great? Maybe yeah.
2: that's maybe that'll be my retirement job. That's
0: fun stuff in there. You just have all that yeah. stuff. Except, I feel that if you own a pawn shop, you have to smoke cigarettes.
2: Okay. Well. I can vape,
0: right? You could probably vape. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I just a woman who owns a pawn shop. I I figure has this voice. I just mm-hmm. can't. Maybe just I'm wrong. Gravelly. That's a that's an unfair stereotype of pawn shop owners. And I welcome the letter that I'm about to receive from the International Association for Pawn Shop Owners and Representation. Um, let's not talk about that anymore, Karen. I feel that everyone should already just know you. It's it's all. I don't even want to summarize your career.
2: Okay.
1: All right. Let's talk about something more interesting. Well, okay. Even though I've known Karen for years, I don't know the pre-career Karen education sort of influences. How'd you get here? Well, I know she grew up in Minneapolis. That I do That is correct, yes. Yes. And you went to Paisley Park
0: at one point, right?
2: I lived across the street from Paisley Park.
0: Did you watch it get get built?
2: Uh, It had just opened right when I moved to that house. And it was noisy. Like you would hear it.
0: You'd hear like Prince.
2: Yeah, you'd hear sounds coming out of it that uh, you presumably was Prince. <laughs> it wasn't like you could just walk up and be like, "Hey, Prince, what's going on?" It was pretty guarded. But did
0: you ever wave?
2: I would drive people past it for sure.
1: Oh, you'd be like, "Yeah,
0: there's, be be
2: like, there's like, hey, Prince, yeah." Oh. I mean, there, it was out in the country, so there wasn't. But such you there was nothing the usual else. Setting the whole
1: is. thing is weird. But you
0: wouldn't like just be out and like, "Oh, I'm gonna get some coffee," and then like. Apollonia would be mowing the lawn. It wasn't like that.
2: <laughs> you know, I never saw him in Chanhassen. <laughs> okay, but maybe he'd run down to the corner store, pick up some
0: milk.
1: Sure, I'm sure. I, why not? Right, he had to live there. I think he did do that. Like he would yeah. go to Walgreens.
2: Yeah, yeah, he was a fixture in Minneapolis. Yeah. You'd see him around all the time.
1: Yeah, like he was. He was going to live a normal life as far as he was. concerned. Well, I
0: don't what he defined as normal. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, so you're living across the street from Paisley Park, hanging out, figuring your life out. So then, what happened?
2: So, my origin story is that, well, I should say this the school district that I went to, I went to the same Hopkins school district my entire uh, educational pre college years, and they were really into computers. Hmm. In the very early days, we had, you know, old Apple green screen computers in the library at a time when I don't think schools had them. They weren't
0: old then, they were still pretty new. They were pretty new, yeah, Yeah, they were
2: modern. And uh, so I just, I think I lived in a world where computers were always there. In a way that I think we talk about the kids today having that that, mm-hmm. that access and that opportunity. I just had it with like really old DOS machines.
0: Right. So you're like, I'll play a little Zork. Yeah, I'll do some, yeah, ma- exactly. I'll do some yeah. puzzles. Yeah. yeah.
2: So that really led me to a place where I wanted to, you know, I was like, this computer thing, this web thing, 1995, seems like this, this seems really interesting. But that was not a career path for people in 94, really. It no. was a weird There's thing.
0: There's no industry. Well, it was a career path for the people who made the software. Right. But not for the people who made the media on top of it. It yes. was very, that was a bunch of weird, hacky, like experimenters.
2: Yeah. So I found a graduate school program at uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic, which is in glorious Troy, New York. And they had a program in their communication department in HCI.
0: You know, This is one of those programs that I think if you are not in this world, you may not know about, but that's like, when I hear you say RPI, I'm like, oh yeah, that's, I mean. It was that's, a good program. Yeah. yeah, it's like, I put that in there. It's like around like a, like a Carnegie Mellon. Like right. it has a very good rep. Actually, why is that rep good? Is it just like, it's been around forever. It's
2: been around for a long time. Uh, I personally liked it because it, tried to look at the problems through the lens of communication and not just through the lens of software development. Right. I think, yeah, like a lot of these programs were in the computer science program. And that, you know, that gives you a whole different perspective on the problem than if you're looking at it through traditional communication and rhetoric right so
0: i don't it was a good i I feel lucky they've always had a good humanities program too for like a technical the technical school like a really good one anyway it's just it's an interesting place because a lot of signal comes out of it yeah and it graduates actually weird interesting people yeah
2: when i was there they launched what they called their emacs program which was electronic media arts and communication undergraduate program terrible terrible name right (laughs) <laughs> but I can remember helping them work on some of the program materials for the undergraduate program. And it was great because you really got the sense of, oh, they're going to start bringing in like just armies of undergrads to, to teach this right. stuff and learn this stuff. So
0: We should explain to you, Emacs for those who aren't wearing a <laughs> pocket protector right now is a name of a very famous text editor that programmers use to apply their trade. So it's an unfortunate combination. It, it's a namespace collision in the technical industry. Like 11 people are upset about this. <sighs> but I'm one of them. Yeah. All right. So it sounds like you just were then thrust into the internet industry. Those Did you go to New York? Those
2: were good years. Those were, I, I can remember being in grad school and like, news would go around the computer lab that a new Netscape beta had been released and everybody would be like, Oh, I'm gonna download this. Right. Yeah,
1: from that FTP server. So yeah. yeah. Yep. So so from,
2: once I finished grad school, yes, I, I moved to New York.
1: You just had a job already or just felt like New York things are happening there? Well let me go.
2: I interviewed at a handful of agencies in New York mm-hmm. and I can remember interviewing with one agency That I was like, I'm a user experience person. And they were like, what is that? And I said, well, you know, I figure out these things and I have these processes. And they were like, do you code HTML? And I said, well, I can code a little HTML, but that would be a dumb reason for you to hire me. You shouldn't hire me to do that. And they were quite insistent that the only thing that they wanted was was people who could code HTML. So (laughs) I happened to uh, interview at Razorfish. And they were, first and foremost, the only agency that, when I said I was a user experience person, were like, great, that's exactly what we're looking for.
0: They were the cool, hip agency.
2: But coincidentally, the guys that ran it kind of came from the next town over where I grew up in Minnesota. So when your job interview gets to the point where somebody's like, hey, where'd you go to high school? No, like, where, what high school did you go to? That's, you you got the job then.
0: Yeah. Nice. So. And that corridor of like upstate New York College coming on down to the city, Mm kind of getting your bearings. You probably already had a couple friends who'd already graduated. Sure. It's important for people to understand that like that. That world, if you go to one of the colleges that kind of feeds into New York City, you have friends when you show up who can then be like, well, here's how you rent an apartment and and here's, that's an unbelievable advantage. I had that too. I went to school upstate and you would just, you'd show up and there were like 10 people I knew.
2: Yep. I can think of half a dozen people from my program at RPI that either now work at Razorfish or worked at Razorfish at some
0: point. So you're at Razorfish, you're a UX professional in a day when no one knew what that was. Nope. First one hired. What kind of clients did you have?
2: My very first project was for Citibank.
0: Okay, so you are you're you're young. You're in your twenties. Wow. Right? right. I'm
2: I'm twenty what twenty six at that point. So, so but so, actually,
0: a grown up for the industry. Then.
2: Right. I had a graduate degree, so okay. I knew what I was doing. Yeah. And so Citibank wanted to. You maybe remember this? There was this era when all of the banks decided that they were going to start up an online only bank.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, they're so, doing that again today. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are... There are no, kind of still at it. There's just no <laughs> new ideas in this business. So no. they're going to do the online-only bank, except it was going to be cash, not Bitcoin. Right. Yeah. Actual
2: cash. So Citi had this idea called Citi FI. And they wanted to build an online bank, so they hired me to build their bank for them.
0: These were the days, too, where literally giant organizations would come to Razorfish with barrels of money that mm-hmm. Razorfish would then immediately set on fire. Like yes. That was my... <laughs> it was so good. It was... I
2: thought working in New York was so amazing. I was like, finally, this is what a real job is like. And then... Maybe only like three years later, in retrospect, I look back on it and I was like, oh, that was the craziest thing ever. No one's job is really like that. No, I
0: remember going to a party that Yahoo threw that had a volcano in New York City. I mean, nothing made
1: sense. Yeah. Also, it's also kind of driven by, it's not driven by, well, this is a good business plan. It's more driven by paranoia. It's like, wait, look, we heard they were doing something across the street. So we have to then do something. Yeah. They were so terrified of being caught flat footed and you know, two years behind because Chase Bank had a new embossed button (laughs) on their site that they didn't have. (laughs) Everybody's
0: terrified that they don't know something. And then they go and they go to these companies where young people are working. And young people are just like naturally cool with clear skin and cooler clothing, and they're narcissists. So they just kind of tell you like, oh, yeah, absolutely, I'll
1: solve this for you, yeah, right? Yeah.
0: Like no 27-year-old will be like, there's a large series. We'll
1: take a <laughs> deep breath here. <sighs> Boy, there's like, <laughs>
0: honestly, what I see is a chain of risks that we need to evaluate before we even get down to a, a prototype <laughs> yeah. phase. Like no. no one ever says that. Yeah. You no. go like, absolutely, we're going to start with brand. You know, yeah. that's, that's the sort of thing a 26-year-old says. And they're just like, well, I guess that's what we got to do. It's just a perfect totally. system for extracting money from giant brands. I'm all for it. Yeah.
2: I would love someday, maybe y'all want to throw an event one night where we can all give a 5 or 10 minute presentation on what we saw at the revolution.
0: Oh, Cuz yeah. I got
2: stories from those. Boy, years. don't we all We uh
0: yeah, no, I mean we kind of throw that every night that event. So <laughs> <laughs> that's just that's called Rich and Me working together, but but no, we should. That would be amazing and terrifying. All right, so you have a great agency experience. You see capitalism, you're like right up to the face of the wall.
2: I learned things. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. What was the behavior like?
2: From like the clients? Yeah,
0: and just sort of like, what were they?
2: You know, I I look back, especially from what, I started there in 97, so 98, 99, 2000 before the crash. Right. It was just bananas. Right. I can remember, like, I did one meeting once in the Disney boardroom with- eisner and bob Iger and like half a dozen disney execs and like me and my wireframes (laughs) (laughs)
0: what what was your and what was your go-to outfit at that point
2: that's a good question you know i think like for california it was very casual yeah yeah okay okay. i think i had a i couldn't remember i had a couple of white suits that i would wear
0: yeah you know for the listeners too like i realized i just asked a woman that question but this was actually the men to there was a very specific like cyber agency uniform yeah. that if you you kind of had to opt into yeah so, okay so you get on the plane and be like no way i'm going out to california i better wind it back but like, if you worked at razorfish you had a certain look
2: yes yeah i think that's true even today in the agencies right it
0: like... is except it was novel it was just like it was cyber everyone there was sharp edges <laughs> Remember, the men all had those big black clunky shoes suddenly. Oh, yeah. All those
2: like Prada like moon boot things. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah a lot of buckles here and there. Mm-hmm. This is very those... judgmental.
1: No, this thing. was real. No, it was I- I'm These saying this in a sort people. of a positive way. Like
2: <laughs> I I was just <laughs> in Paris is. and I have to say I was genuinely disappointed because I didn't see a single person wearing anything fashionable that made me kind of like do a double take. Right. Yeah. This was Paris. And <laughs> I yes, I feel like there was an era that we've all gladly future. adapted to more casual dress, but there was a time when you dressed up for things.
0: Right, unless you went to California, then you wound it back a little bit. And then
2: bit. you had to you had to hit their mark. Right. You don't want to be the person showing up for the meeting in California wearing the blue suit and the blue jacket and the khaki pants. So I'm sorry. Don't be f- that guy.
0: I'm sorry for interrupting. You're in a you're in a boardroom with people who are actually some of the most powerful people in the entire entertainment industry ever. Pretty much and and to this day. It's them and you. Mm-hmm. What happens?
2: So this was a this was this was a good meeting. So I was working on Go.com. Uh, and tell it, people what Go is Go will... was so Go at, at this in this era everybody wanted a search engine or a portal. Right. So excite was big, remember Excite? Yep. So Disney bought InfoSeek Yeah. and turned yep. it into a portal called Go.com. It's okay. gonna be your start page for the internet. They hired Razorfish, they hired McKinsey. And Go Pulled out the big guns. got into a trademark dispute with go2.com because go to com had a green stoplight and Go had a green stoplight. And it turns out that, that was a trademark violation. Now there's only one place that Disney likes to be in a trademark dispute, and that is on the side of the angels. And Disney basically got, you know, yelled at by the judge and told that they had to go through and debrand the entire website.
0: No more traffic lights.
2: No more traffic lights. So they hired Razorfish to do Explorations of logos. So we made logo explorations. We had thousands of literally books and books and books. But
0: also, this is this is another thing. Like, no one's coming to us particularly for a logo. Yes, we're. But in this era, but in this era, it was just like we'll do your brand, we'll do your website. Mm -hmm. They were trying to like nudge in on advertising agency territory.
2: It was. They were very aggressively trying to be more more of a creative agency. But also, there
0: wasn't. The idea that you could have a shop that could go and build products like that was that didn't exist. No, then.
2: it was very much still, I think, legacy of print. Right. Yeah. You were building brochures that kind of had some you know, creative to them. So we get in this meeting. We think we're going to present logo directions to Eisner. This is not what happens. Eisner pulls out a bunch of photographs that he has taken of green things in his neighborhood. This is a green park bench. Oh, this boy. is a green dumpster. Oh, these boy. are some green trees. <laughs> so then he's like, okay, so I got the Disney Imagineering team to brainstorm some concepts. So he pulls out, you know, like everything's on boards in those days. So he pulls out this 18 by 24 board of a dog wearing goggles. <laughs> 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 and, every, and so, like, all the executives are like, oh, yeah, that's great. That's a really great, great concept. Right. So then it gets better. He pulls out another board. Of a monkey wearing a diaper holding a road sign. And he says, This is Bobo, your guide to the information
0: superhighway. Oh, no, wow. no, no, no. Wow. <laughs> that is incredible. So, so it, it's you guys who have to please the client. And it's it's an old school advertising it's, culture, like whatever he wants. We yes, gotta get go. it. Everybody's
2: sitting there, like, yes, these are all wonderful yeah, ideas. So then monkey. finally, some of the one executive says, Hey, what if we set the word go? In the Disney font, in the Disney type script, do you think the judge is going to have a problem with that? And that has their logo today.
0: Oh, poor Bobo. Poor Bobo. He was right about the internet. It really did. It was going to become a monkey in a diaper.
2: It, it was a dog with the g- goggles. Goggles dog, are funny.
1: Dog, they are funny. There needs to be a name for this where you've been asked to do something and come up with ideas or concepts or take something in a particular direction and you work on it sometimes it's an entire team working on it only to go to the meeting with the stuff you've been working on and then have the client tell you that they had an idea
2: just completely hijack oh, yeah. in a it's the com- strangest unpredictable direction it's the strangest like
1: well, Rich, it,
0: can you remember the worst pitch you were ever part of i i have a very clear memory
1: um i need to think okay uh, can i tell yeah, my I term- like oh, well, story I
0: think, okay so, this was a competitor to Razorfish, a company called IXL. I was
2: going to say, I bet this was IXL. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it? And we
0: were pitching Sega for some sort of portal. Hmm. And the idea was like, we needed our pitches to stand out. So, I was in the strategic solutions group, something like that. And <laughs> uh, we started to put this pitch together, put this pitch together, put this pitch together. And somebody was like, we got to make this get over the top. And, and these
2: things are always like, Multi week all nighter yeah. extravaganzas of like people oh, yeah. spraying glue and we like. We really,
0: and we needed this brand, like we needed something. And so they went out and they, this guy hired a um, an artist to get two black cases, like that you'd use to transport ammunition, and fill them with foam and then put different toys in them with labels on the toys using the logo of this uh, Sego thing. I think it was called Heat.net. It was like a online gaming portal, early
1: days. I think I remember this.
0: The idea was each one was labeled, so it's like a little, it was like this is your strategic advisor, and that was a little He-Man character with a little label. This is your competition targeting tool, and it would be a tiny laser pointer. Mm -hmm. And there were like 18 of these. And the the way the meeting was supposed to go was that they'd give a little talk, hand out the little (laughs) Kinko's reproduced booklets. Then the guy running the meeting would go, jack the key jack would take the key out of his mouth Ooh, that's a nice touch hand it to me i would i would take the handcuffed to my wrist briefcase hand it over he would open up the briefcase and then start to hand out and pass around the different creatures and and devices to emphasize how strategic we were and the way it actually went was he went jack the key and everyone I just you know how you feel the room just like go shrink yeah. and your back just starts to tingle so jack the key and then they watch jack take the key out of his mouth and then I'm there wearing like some blazer and I I, I slam uh, the, the briefcase <laughs> onto the giant like glass and rubber table because it was a dot-com startup and, and nothing shattered or anything but it was just this incredibly loud noise everyone recoiled <laughs> and it took like a minute and a half to open the briefcase <laughs> <laughs> and great. he just started to like kind of it was like some sort of really it was like the end of a movie like he just starts to pull out the different toys and characters and be like like this was competitive, and this is a pointer. And then, it, then he goes, "Let's move on from this. We'll give you guys the briefcase." And and we went back, and that we didn't get that. That was that. That <laughs> oh, like didn't go well. That was not good. Yeah. Do, you,
1: do, you, do you ever have a bad pitch? You know, I never pitched like this. Oh, God, that's I'm the never thing. Had I never. Those were the days. No,
0: Carrie, I've only really had really perfect experience. No, no.
1: I, I mean, I had an agency that didn't that never <sighs> came from the creative angle. I had an agency that really came from sort of the. I think I see a half a billion dollars right there wedged between those two boxes. Oh, I see so they help would help me just, move the boxes out of the way. They would just <laughs> that send, was essentially my my it was a
0: very different game. So they would just send you home if they didn't like you.
1: Oh It's like can you do it? And then they'd let you talk for about three minutes. And you had you but you if you're not running alongside them, and they, they sniffed you out fast. It's yeah. like okay. You're not understanding me right now and I'm busy and that would be that. So you pretty much had to had to know be in lockstep with what they were thinking about and what they wanted. Like this wasn't about how do we win over teenagers. This was about money. Right. And building tools that were gonna give somebody an advantage over somebody else, essentially. So less romantic. Unfortunately, I don't have as many stories as a result. So what's the big difference between how we all got work
0: then and the kind of work we did and now like what do you do now we'll skip ahead a little bit you have your you've had your own agency for many many years you have a decentralized team Mm -hmm. you work under uh bond art and science that's correct and so how does work come in now what are the what is what does it feel like now compared to sitting in a room with the people from disney showing you a picture of a monkey with a diaper
2: I rarely go do pitches or even respond to RFPs anymore. Okay. It's very much people call me because they have a specific problem and I am the person who solves that problem. And so most of it is purely someone calls me up and they're like, hey, we, gotta, we need this thing. How would you recommend that we approach it? I tell them what I think. They say, yeah, that sounds really smart. Here, let's do a project together.
0: So two questions. How do they come to know you?
2: So I wrote a book called Content Strategy for Mobile. You may be familiar with it because you wrote the foreword. That's right. It Came out in twenty twelve. I remember it. You may not have read it. But I did. I, I read, did you it. read it.
0: I, there's a certain responsibility that one
1: incurs when one It's when Very good. A it's a quick read, but it's a quick read. Yeah. It's a, it's
2: a. It's a. It outlines my point of view. Don't on...
0: steal my thunder for having read it. You're like it's quick read. Whatever. <laughs> you better pull a quote fast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's a good and thoughtful book. It was very novel at the moment; like it was just sort of nobody was thinking that way, and and it's very much sort of it set the trend for a lot of what we now know as a responsive design, and sure. So people have maybe read the book.
2: Yes, I think most of the work that I do is variations on the themes coming out of that book. Like we. We need to replatform our CMS. We need to think about how we're going to publish to different devices. We're interested in being able to do contextual targeting or personalization even. And all those things are great ideas that the marketing team has ginned up, but actually to make that happen is going to require a substantial amount of content structure and information architecture work.
0: I mean, this is what I'm wondering. People are coming to you with specific requests and kind of no plan, and a lot of times you have to tell them, yeah, this is going to be like a team of four over the next 18 years who are going to have to do this if you want to do this right. Like, how do, how do you break the news?
2: Like, personalization is real hot these days. I guess personalization has been hot for 15 years. Sure. But I think there's a lot of marketing teams out there, especially when they're confronting the multi-device future and they want to have magical moments that happen in-store or they want to personalize the experience based on what they know about the Careful customer. Careful with
1: your tone, Karen. You're future clients may be listening.
0: I
2: I, 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 it, I, I hope exhausted. they are listening to me. <laughs> this is a
0: funny, just a pause. Like this is all, all three of us are now the, we've hit the point in our career where we are expected to deliver bad news rather than good news.
2: I I feel like with that exact issue, there's often some marketer that's all hot on this idea. And then there's a whole team of people underneath them who are like, we can't actually deliver on that unless we do all these other things. And so those are the people who will, will bring me in and, I feel like I'm very articulate at this point about saying like, hey, if this is your vision, that's great. I'm going to help you get closer to that vision, but we're going to have to do these other things. Right. And if what I deliver is helping push them in that direction, but also a more structured, more maintainable architecture and content repository, I've done my job.
0: How do you deliver that news? Just calmly, professionally, with yeah. eye contact?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like, okay, I get what you want, and I'm going to help you get there, and I know what you're talking about, but also these things have to happen. And do they often get bored and wander off at some point? Sure. That's
1: quite similar to our conversation. Well, that's the thing. It's it's very
0: hard to have the courage of your convictions, but then once you get over the other side, you're like, yeah, I'm never going back. I'm never going to just sell. Yeah, I'm no. gonna just tell people what it's really gonna take to do this, and if it takes them four months to realize I was right, that's okay. And
1: also, you'll have hopefully built a reputation where if you're telling someone, Hey, listen, this is might be a little tough to swallow, but A, B, and C, yeah. they're like, well, you know what? You know, I mean, this is not a person that is trying to finagle something out of me here, this is reality, and I may never speak to them again, but at least I just heard reality. Yeah, I mean, know?
2: I think marketing. There's this idea that it should help attract the right clients to you, but it should also repel the wrong clients. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if straight talk about what I think repels people that I don't want to work yeah. with, I'm doing my job right.
0: Right. It's hard to accept that. You have to get to like a place of stability before you can right. do that. It's it's, it's a luxury. <laughs> it is, right? Okay. So there's writing. There's speaking.
2: Yes. I do a lot of speaking. You do a
0: lot of speaking. Probably more than almost anyone I know.
1: It's all, You're almost like a professional speaker. I mean, it's... It's probably a quarter
2: of my time.
1: That's a meaningful amount, which is mean, a good
2: yeah. chunk. But
1: can it be more? Is that even possible? Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. I would not want it to be more.
1: Right. Every year, every like...
2: year I want it to be slightly less, and every year it's not ever slightly so. less. <laughs>
0: and you like to work still. Like I that's do. the one thing. Whenever I whenever I see you, I mean, you're like. Just before uh, we started recording, you were telling me that you are still kind of intimately involved in making the websites, right? Yes. I have web
2: projects right now where websites are happening under my direction. Exactly. It's a pain. Man, it's a pain in the ass.
0: Exactly. I think that (laughs) listeners may not know, like, that's actually very unusual for someone who has Karen's range of experience and, and also sort of her position in the industry. Most people, they haven't looked at a piece of HTML in four or five years. And you keep your hands dirty. I do. I try to. What's the point of that for you? Like, what's that get you?
2: I think I think we all look at our, I, I'm hoping to have another 20 years in this industry, and yeah. you got to keep your hands dirty. You really yeah. do, because I think otherwise you start to lose your grip on what's actually happening, and then you just become- Well, it doesn't sit become, still, right? I yeah, mean, you it's become not... someone who pontificates. Yeah.
0: Then you're holding up a picture of a monkey in a diaper. And
2: then you're like, but it's a dog wearing goggles. It's yeah. funny.
0: I mean, it's true. It is funny. It's a funny story. Like it, it's still working. <laughs> it, he it was is. right. Twenty years later. Yes. <laughs> how does the conference stuff translate into business for you? Does it? I always wonder about that.
2: I think of it as my marketing. It's marketing that I get paid to do, and I enjoy doing it. And much like with any advertising, you don't know which parts of it work, but people know who I am. And then every once in a while, some random person emails me and they're like, hey, we got a big project. It's exactly. perfect for you. So That's just, really
0: it. So it's like a couple months. There's some time.
1: You're like, you're up on stage. It could be anything. It could be, it could be years. It could be years. It could be not that person that attended the conference. It could be they heard about a challenge in the other group. And they say, hey, you know, I was at a talk about four months ago. It, it could be that disconnect. Like, My friend yeah. sent me this YouTube video. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. It's... One of the trickiest things, and I think one of the the least satisfying things to do is to say, "Well, how do you think that meetup went?"
0: It's really tricky,
1: like, right? Don't though, because... don't bother keeping score with of that. Like, what do you mean? Like, did I sign deals out of that meetup? Like. Don't don't do that. It's not the point. The yeah. point is to to raise profile and yep. to be in the conversations out there. That's well, you also get a very clear
0: sense when you're doing a lot of stuff if it's going better this month than it was last month. You're in a position where you're going like, I might wind down speaking. Obviously, you can't. Like, I think your business would suffer, right? For your next 20 It'd be years. tough, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, you you kind of know like, okay, I'm I was doing this five years ago. I'm doing this now, and this feels like. Like I'm reaching more people that I'm better at my craft. And...
2: Yes. I, I would say five years ago, I maybe gave one or two talks a year. And okay. now I give 25. Whew, and, that's a lot. And I've had years where I give 40 or more.
1: That's incredible.
2: And I definitely think that's the, probably been the biggest driver of me doing the kind of work I want to do. Like I'm not, I'm not responding to RFPs for can you make our website anymore. I'm only doing work that somebody basically comes to me and says, "Hey, this seems like the perfect project for you." And it is.
0: Mm. You know, there's an observation here which is that most people who are that accessible and are that out in the world are sort of native social connectors who don't necessarily do a lot of hands-on stuff. Like that is very unusual. It's very unusual for a practitioner to be that engaged with the community.
2: I'm not a connector. I mean, I I feel like for me that's a skill that I have I, learned how to do, but I it's feel not. I'm not way. a natural
1: at it. That's funny because you, I mean, uh, just our example. You've connected me with some of the most important professional relationships I've ever had. But consciously, I enjoy that. Yeah, and, yeah. and I
2: guess it's like I think there's people who just do that really naturally. Yeah. like that's they're they're extroverted by nature. I am. Yep. I am not. I like. Yep. I think about it. And yeah.
1: you're careful about it. You're not just saying, "Hey, you all should." Hang, hey you should to have hang lunch out. no yeah. I've
0: noticed it with the intro notes because I see the. I'm the same way like I write you know there's it, thought about who goes into, into this conversation and how this conversation could go right and what success would look like and it's not random like if, if Karen introduces you to someone it's because she really feels that you should meet and talk with this person
2: yeah I don't want to waste anybody's time right I mean I don't like it when people are like oh you should have coffee with this person I'm like yeah. why am I having coffee with this
1: person like, I also don't want to be that person Who's just has coffee? No, (laughs) the person that's like just for shits just loves introducing people to people because they think that's a great way to like it is a little profile. It's it's it's, just a little rough sometimes.
0: It's tough when you get the like you two should meet
1: email out of the blue, and then that I would never do. No,
0: sometimes those are meaningful
1: too. It's just like no, but I would clear. I would say hey, I think you might want to meet this person. How do you feel about an intro? And then go from there i don't know
0: what about why don't we build a web platform for easier introductions where you actually we could set up the template you two should meet like you tinder know? for professional content. yeah and it's like you two should meet i feel that you guys should meet here are the reasons why and here's what i think here's some things i think you should do yeah and then they ha- would have to like
1: both opt in yeah and then yeah that'd no, be great that's interesting i i have the name for it jumping to bcc <laughs> 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 that's the name <laughs> I, you know, I have this visualization in my mind about jumping to BCC of like someone sort of walking backwards out of a room, slowly oh, yeah. <laughs> <Literally> sliding <laughs> it's to it's the a strange exit. It's what people really want to do. Exit. I mean, what you want is an email
0: client that can let you BCC yourself out of existence <laughs> right away. Like you're just like,
1: I'm not in this conversation. Right. Uh, Give me your quick sort of survey. Of what you think is, you know, you've had a career that's had to adjust. At least I have as well, and I think Paul has as well. The web and and technology has forced us to kind of continue to morph professionally. Absolutely. Over time, and you have a unique perspective. I've had to do it from where my perspective, but talk a little bit about what you think's happened that has required you to morph over time, and and where you think you'll have to continue to morph. Like you you, you talked about it before about having to keep your hands dirty. I think it's part of that is because the damn stuff doesn't sit still. I mean, we're more on the technical side and we thought a framework was going to change the world a year ago and it's gone. Yeah. Right. And now there's another one. And everyone is talking about how this one, this is the one that's got legs. And I wouldn't bet against two years from now we'll be thinking about things differently. So if you could talk a little bit about I mean, obviously, twenty twenty five years is a long time, but key turning points or milestones that have sort of caused you to shift thinking.
2: Yeah, you know, I I tell the story that I was doing a project up at Conde, and uh, Razorfish had put in a new CMS platform that I will not name, but I'll refer to it only as Schminterwoven, and <laughs> and it was terrible, right? <laughs> like it was, and I, I don't I don't even mean any disrespect to the team that implemented it, like it. Yeah was a bunch of forms, and what happened as a result was that we had all these visions for how the websites were going to work, and, you know, wouldn't it wouldn't be cool if you could browse this way, and wouldn't it be nice if there were these kind of filters, and then it turned out that the team that was actually going to manage and update the website, all the journalists and magazine staffers and whatnot, hated the CMS so much that they weren't going to use it, and they revolted and said no. and They just
1: boycotted the They tool. boycotted it, basically.
2: Yeah. So that meant that in the very immediate term, a lot of things had to be torn out of the front end of the website because there wasn't anything to drive it. And in the long term, they wound up tearing out all of Interwoven, and I think they're still cycling through platforms over there.
1: That's unbelievable.
2: It was a bad scene, and it really had a major effect on me. It was like sort of a light bulb moment where it hit me that all my dreams and ambitions for how I wanted websites to work didn't matter all that much if we didn't have tools on the back end that worked well for people. Mm -hmm. And all of that kind of got packaged together in writing a book. But I think for me, it's almost like having an ability to survey the landscape and try to figure out how you can articulate someone's pain to them in a way that makes them recognize, oh, that that thing. That's what hurts. I didn't even know that was what was hurting me and you've just described my pain to me so perfectly that now I actually feel like I can fix that pain. So a this lo- is
0: this is the theme not the plot. That's interesting. Yeah. Like, this is this is you saying like I have a mission here.
2: It's I think that's the thing that I think I'm always kind of scanning the horizon for and sure. the thing is with Content management systems—that's such a big nest of pain. I figure I could like roll around in that for the next twenty years. You're fine, years. <laughs> You're <laughs> fine for a gonna, while. Never going to deal with that. Now, you know, one
0: of the things I think about is what can I do to to help people find work that's meaningful rather yeah. than like take it away. And some of the systems I built have helped make work for writers. I'm very proud of that. Right. Yes. Like, and that's taking that pain away so that they can be more creative. Like, there's a there's an ethical goal there that you can just focus on, and then the technology doesn't matter that much.
2: Yeah. It's, uh, I think, working with great people and have, helping them do work that they want to do or have, having the technology help facilitate for them as opposed to making their jobs worse. So it's a great, great ambition.
0: So, connect that a little bit for me. One of the, the things that you are best known for now is that you're, you're partnered with a, a man named Ethan Marcotte. Um, mm-hmm. And you and he, you have a podcast? We do. How do I how do I hear that podcast?
2: So if you go to responsivewebdesign.com, you will find our podcast. You will find information about the workshops that we do on responsive web design.
0: So what I was going to ask you about is responsive web design.
2: <laughs> At responsivewebdesign.com. com. <laughs>
1: You the have format's the, cool. You should mention the format. I think it's kind of neat.
2: So every week we interview uh, a client, or you know, a company about their responsive redesign. Yeah. So we started this out where I was like, "Hey, you know, I would like to have a newsletter, and maybe we could like we do workshops. So we'll go in and and spend a day or two with a company, helping them get set up to do a successful responsive redesign." And I was like, "What if we could tell some of the stories from some of these redesign processes? Like, how could I how could I start a newsletter?" And I was like, well, newsletters are terrible. What if I called these people on the phone and like asked them questions? Wait a minute, what if I recorded? I could bet I could record that phone call with Skype. Wait a minute. That would be a podcast.
1: <laughs> you see a glimpse into Karen's <laughs> thought. N- was n- right.
0: 90
2: There's episodes
0: later. Content production processes just fall out of your brain, right? You're like, no, wait a minute. This is an audio signal that's going on. Ah, wait a minute.
2: I was like, I made a content strategy. It
0: happens. It happens all day long. It's yeah. terrible. It's a weekly podcast Yep, and you have a business and you do workshops and you advise generally across the media, but also other industries as to responsive web design. What is responsive web design?
2: So responsive web design is a, it's often thought of as a front end technique where uh, you use fluid grids, flexible images and media queries to uh, have your website, fluidly adjust to every size device.
0: You see this when you like resize a website and you make it really small and suddenly everything kind of like moves around a little bit but feels, still makes sense. It's kind of elastic. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah, so it works at different... Stuff, which means it works on mobile. It, it works
2: on, it- on mobile devices. But what it turns out is that the, the front end stuff... I don't want to make it sound like it's easy, but those concepts are relatively straightforward for companies to wrap their heads around like okay. a talented designer developer can sit down and be like yes okay like yeah. we can make this happen really the problem for these companies is that they've got this huge giant mess of a desktop website and they can't just squish it down so i can remember doing an interview with with somebody who was like you need to explain to our executives that Responsive web design isn't just beating the website with a media query stick. It's about we need to change what we're publishing. We have to fix our content. We've got to change our publishing processes. We've got to prototype more. And so I wrote another book called Going Responsive that talks about kind of the broader organizational and somebody, operational changes. Somebody else
0: wrote the forward on that one.
2: Somebody else.
0: It wasn't as good.
1: I just want to say. The forward?
0: Yeah. I don't. I don't, I don't. We can just leave it at that. Yeah. No, it was great. <laughs> it was an excellent forward.
2: Who wrote that forward? Frank Camaro.
0: Yeah,
1: that's a good guy.
0: That guy he's wrote a, good, a great. He's good people, he wrote I a really very good forward. You
2: set a high bar a that I needed someone good to guy. exceed.
0: He's a good person, and he did a fine job. Rich, he did a fine job. He's <sighs> just not Paul Ford. i oh, just stop. All Lord. right, so help me understand. Then they have to simplify their world. They have to like get their content into some kind of order. How does focusing on on the responsive design and pushing people to Restructure and reorganize some of what they do. How does that connect to the the mission to make lives easier for content producers?
2: Oh, I think so many websites are just filled with so much garbage, and like they're too big and they're dense, and nobody knows if what's on there actually provides any value. And you go in, you pare that down, you clean it up, you prioritize it better, and people then have tools that they can use. You know, they're thinking about the website in a smarter way.
0: So okay, so. Kind of working backwards from, like, if you take this as a principle, not just as a technology, if you take responsive design as, like, you need a simple, elegant approach that, that works across different platforms. Yes. And you work backwards from that all the way to the tools that people use to create the content, you're going to have a more humane experience for everybody, including the user.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there's, I think there's a lot of changes in web design and development. So more modern content management systems that are more API-driven rather than being total monolithic packages. The trend toward pattern libraries or, you know, componentized design systems that that fits really neatly with a responsive redesign. Because if you think about your website as a bunch of little Lego bricks, as opposed to one big template, then that componentized system is sort of inherently responsive because you can restructure all of those little blocks.
0: Gotcha. Now is that is that the way things are going to go instead of just like setting up one big WordPress? You think people will be building all these websites out of little blocks?
2: Yeah. I think I mean I I think if you're running a relatively good sized website that's definitely how you should be thinking about it i don't think wordpress is going to go away but no i
0: don't either okay. you
2: know people are like oh it's 25 percent of the web and i'm like well it's 25 percent of the web running a bunch of small business
0: brochureware websites <laughs> yeah exactly if you're in wow, and major media brands but yeah, but okay 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 yeah uh, suddenly i became a wordpress defender which has not been my role run with sure. it paul <laughs> um so the, it's like anything. The world's going to get a little more decentralized, a little bit weirder. But, yeah. So you apply this simple, humane core principle to your day-to-day work.
2: I would like to think so, yes. I Try to be nice to people.
0: That That's working out? I mean, you're 20 years in, right? If you can do that and make money, it's a pretty good, pretty good deal. And you got 20 years to go?
2: That's least. what I'm imagining, right?
0: No, me too. I mean. All right. So we're going to be nice for 20 years. Yes. Respectful. You and me. We're going to... Even be rich decent human beings not
1: going to sign up for this just yet. I want to think <laughs> this one over. I
0: don't know. It seems to be working pretty well for Karen. <laughs> okay you can be a kind, respectful person and still be professionally respected and I, good at your job I think we've got a theme for this podcast. Oh, what is that theme? Be nice Oh that's great. I don't think we're not going to title it that no All right, so Karen, if people need to get in touch with you, find out about what you're doing, what do they do?
2: Well, if they're interested in responsive web design, they can go to responsivewebdesign.com. There's a form Wait, there. I'm sorry, I'm
0: sorry. What is the URL? It's
2: responsivewebdesign.com. Dot com. Got okay, it. Okay.
0: Thank you. Got it.
2: Uh, they can also hit me up on Twitter. I'm Karen McGrain on Twitter. They can find me at karenmcgrain.com.
0: And you're you're happy to hear from people? Within reason. Okay. So <laughs> nice. Re- well, we know what the limits are. They have to be respectful. They have be, to be nice. Be kind. Respectful. Yeah. It takes a little while to respond. You're a busy person. I
2: I have an assistant. Smart. I often will send her an email and I'll write her two words like, sounds great, but no. I call it running it through the Selena filter where she then turns those words into even nicer words.
0: Let's publicly thank Selena. Selena
2: is the best human on earth. I
0: genuinely believe that. And you just, so Selena, thank you for making Karen partially possible. I like that. All right. Well, thanks to Karen. <laughs> thanks to thank Selena. Thank you, Karen. This yeah. was a great interview. Thank you so yeah. much for coming on. It's always
2: by. a pleasure to talk to y'all.
0: Thanks. Rich, that Karen McGreen is a cool person. I just feel calmer. I feel more centered. I just, I wish I could work with her every day. She She's is great. just the best. And she is, she, is, she could for years and she couldn't person. know more as far as I can tell. She knows as much about the history of technology and how things work yeah, as anybody.
1: And a great perspective.
0: Yeah. Always good to see her. So thank you to Karen. Um, Rich, this is the Track Changes podcast. I hope people will go to iTunes and rate it. Five five stars or, or whatever if you're your gonna rate it are. three or less please don't rate it if you're gonna if you have issues with this podcast you just email
1: us contact at yeah. postlight.com then we'll fix
0: it yeah we want to we want this is for you
1: unless it's listener. something like make rich go away then yeah, it's still well, doable still, still on the list
0: yeah just send that email contact yeah. at postlight.com we'll talk to you again soon okay bye, bye.